I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin, and I'm a former chairman of the New York Spurs um, Supporters Club, and I'm coming to you from Belfast today. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm a Leicester City fan and representative on the EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. All right, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Also, the pre-show is one of the most hilarious ones we've ever had. I doubt it'll ever see the light of day, but certainly a pleasure to be speaking with you both before and during the show. Uh, we'll start off with Liverpool. Obviously, the lost their first since January 2019 and ended their Invincibles bid. Uh, how surprised were you by the result, and do you think it in any way dims the luster of this season, which by every other account has been incredible? Totally incredible. They they have been a remarkable team this year. Uh, I wasn't necessarily surprised by the outcome, but just the the, the sheer the, the extent of how much Watford dominated. And I think in a way, uh, it, it's very easy to lose sight of what a great performance that was by by Watford. Nigel Pearson has got them playing some great stuff. They've really been pressing high. They've been closing down. They didn't give Liverpool a, t- a chance to get into the game at all. That um, was a wonderful combination of, of forward play between Dini and, and Saar. Uh, you know, in, in a way, it doesn't it doesn't diminish from Liverpool because we were saying in in that hilarious um, pre pod discussion that we're at a we're at a point in the season where any team can beat any other on any given day, and you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, it, that 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 result proves that Liverpool are human, and it proves that they're. Uh, subject to the same kind of considerations about, well, do we just show up? Do we take a take a game for granted as any other team in that situation? But as I say, um, credit to uh, credit to Pearson and his team. I think they they did magnificently well, and I I, I do hope they they uh, they avoid the drop now, and I think they will. But uh, yeah, no, it, it, Liverpool, as, as as you were suggesting, it 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 doesn't diminish their their achievement for this year it's a remarkable achievement and it actually it puts them in that category of great sides great classic sides i mean you know even back to um spurs double double winning team of the the 60 61 and then arsenal and then of course the the liverpool team in the mid 80s that sort of ushered in that that period of european dominance for for english clubs uh, right up until you know the the uh, um, Manchester United's treble winning team. You know in the, in the late 1990s. But then, of course, as soon as you mention the word invincibles, the the, the comparison is going to be between uh, this current Liverpool team and and the Arsenal team. Uh, again, you know it, it it's nitpicking to actually divide between those two teams. Fantastic 
fantastic uh, uh, teams. Uh, and and again, that European context, once you sort of say <clears throat> you bring European winning sides into it, you, you have to look at like Celtic's Lisbon lands in 1967, for example, and the fact that that achievement is still such a huge part of that club's history. I think when people look back in 25, 30 years at this Liverpool team, they'll think of what Klopp has built there and some of the players uh, that, that are that are basically stars in that in that firmament. They'll think of them in the same way as we think of the of the Spurs double winning team of the 60s, or Celtic fans think of the 1967 uh, uh, European Cup winners, uh, or Manchester United fans think of the of that treble winning team. So uh, it hasn't it hasn't diminished the accomplishment, uh, but it it proves that. The league, uh, especially at this stage of the league, uh, subject to uh, upsets and vagaries that that uh, you can you can always bank on, but you can't predict. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult to give um, Watford enough credit. Really, they they are you know a team that are down there and struggling. And Pearson's got plenty of experience of being in this kind of situation. He led Leicester to one of the the greatest kind of escapes. Um, in Premier League history in terms of how many points adrift we were um, with 10 games to go, which is the, the period that we're into now. Um, so all credit to them for their display because I think they, they not only deserved it, but they you know they outplayed one of the best teams in the Premier League era um, in Liverpool. And I think it's easy for us to overlook quite how dominant Liverpool have been in the shadow of this, this defeat because they're on 79 points now, as we record. With 10 games to go, they could conceivably get to 109 points, which is unbelievable, obviously. The Premier League record's 100, so they can still afford to drop eight more points and set a new points record with 10 games to go. Like that, that's, I mean, that's beyond even Man City levels previously of, of kind of dominance, the way that they've they've gone about the season. They've just systematically taken people apart. Um, and as Steve said, you know, anyone, that's one of the reasons we love football, right? Because, on any given day, any team can turn up and upset another. It, it's a sport where there's not a lot of scoring opportunities, which means that you do get upsets. Um, and the kind of impact of a goal is, is much bigger on football than other high-scoring sports where the, you'd expect the variance to be slightly lower. Um, and and Watford fully deserved it. But what uh, Liverpool have done this, this year has been incredible. They're fighting on multiple fronts, obviously, with the... The Club World Cup, the two domestic uh, cup competitions and their European Cup defence as well. Now, obviously, they're in a tricky spot against Atletico Madrid as we record. But given what they've achieved since Klopp took over, they'll be looked back on as one of the best teams in, in, you know, in modern football, I think. Um, the way that they've gone about taking down different competitions, assuming that they do you know, get the get the Premier League when everyone expects them to. They'll probably still break every single Premier League record going, I'd imagine. Maybe not the goals scored, but I mean, if you look at the the points differential that they're going to have um, over anybody else, assuming Manchester City, they'll probably break the, the record for most points. I can't see them dropping eight more points between now and the end of the season. So they'll probably break that 100. Um, they've already got the biggest lead um, at any point in the season at 25 points. Um They'll probably break if they if they do go on to break that hundred points record. They'll probably have the most home points, the most away points. So you know they they will be the dominant team 
you know, in terms of the Premier League area, yes, okay, they've dropped a game, and that brings in the comparisons with the Arsenal Invincible side. Um, but they drew a hell of a lot of games in that campaign. Is it better to win way more games as a percentage, get a higher points total, and lose one game, have that blip, than it is to draw your way to a you know an unbeaten season um, and with with much fewer points? Um, that's a matter for debate, and obviously it's a different time, and, and football evolves, you know, on a rapid scale these days. The way that the game kind of changes. So, yeah, I, I don't think it, it takes anything away from Liverpool. I don't think it tarnishes what they've done. If anything, it slightly humanises them a little bit. It brings them more into the the, the kind of likable territory because I think, especially when a team is so dominant, Liverpool do play fantastic football, and I think within reason most people probably grudgingly, even grudgingly, admire what they do uh, because of how they go about it, but they and what clock's built. Um but yeah, I think this, you know, just shows that they're human and they can have an off day. And they were missing a few players against Watford, you know, um, and those that you would normally rely on to be top, top quality just didn't quite have it on that any given day and, and Watford were primed and ready to ready to go and they they took them down, which is, you know, one of the, the great things we love about football and the, the, the way that it's um, it's a very level playing field for teams, you know, of a certain quality. So, yeah, I don't think it takes anything away from what Liverpool have done, if anything. You know, it just reminds us of, of how good they've been up until now, essentially, which has been absolutely incredible. And, and another consideration, of course, that goes along with that is what, what sort of a bar have they set for expectations next season? You know, is this, oh, is, yeah. is this a complete sort of one-off or... Are they expected to build on that next season? I mean, for example, that plays into their their transfer dealings, for example. Do you go out and try to strengthen a team that's so dominant? Well, I mean, if they get Timo Werner, who's an actual striker, and you can yeah. debate the, the merits of Roberto Firmino, who's finishing is probably his fourth or fifth best skill as a forward, um, that, that, that would be very scary indeed. But kind of where I think you may be going with this is, like, do you affect the chemistry at all? Or do you mm. just expect the same team to go for a long time? Although... At Tottenham, we're very aware that not refreshing your squad for a couple of years can have some pretty negative effects. <laughs> yeah, we're so. Yeah, and then I'm um, following up on Jim's point, just for those wondering, Liverpool have had just the one draw all season, of course, to pair with that one loss. Uh, also, you mentioned missing some players. They had Matip on the bench. They played Lovren, and I saw something that, like, four of the five matches that uh, Virgil van Dijk has lost in the Premier League since joining Liverpool have come with Lovren and his partner. Uh, so maybe don't try that anymore. <laughs> he's club. he's not good. The he, way you know he what? got completely schooled for that first goal, like it just looped. He just stood there and watched it like a dog in the park watching a ball being thrown over his head. No. He just he just couldn't move. And it, you know, if that was Gomez, he you know, okay, I'm not saying he has to grow another two foot, but like his positioning is probably better in the first place for a start. And also, he makes some kind of physical challenge. He doesn't just get held off. Yeah. Um, and let the ball drop behind him, which is, you know, the root of their problem, essentially, for that first goal. Yep, I think Tottenham's last win against Liverpool was that game where Harry Kane just absolutely abused Lovren and then he got removed before halftime. That's um, one position to strengthen for the summer. Yeah, good point. Although Gomez and Matip aren't bad, especially since Matip was on a free and Gomez was a youth buy. I don't think he came through their academy. I think they bought him for cheap. But yeah, I think he came in. Yeah, they did. They uh, they hoovered him up a couple of years ago. Um, but you know, in terms of strength and depth, if you are going to go all out again, you've got domestic cup competitions and you've got Europe. Then you, you know you, yeah. you've got to potentially. You know, Man City have seen how fragile um, even the most kind of 
burly central defenders can be this season. They've really mm. struggled and they've not had Laporte there. Um, and now so, he's hurt again. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, rushing players back. And they're lucky in a sense that they've had Van Tyke and he's, he's been fit for the vast majority of the time he's been there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I certainly think, you know, if they're going to get rid of Lovren, which God hope they do, really. Um, it, otherwise, it's just a handicap against them going forward because teams will just target him now. Well, maybe that's just fair play. Yeah, every like ten games, games they have to play Lovren just to give teams yeah, a chance. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I would imagine there'll be unless there's unless there's you know I don't know enough about Liverpool's youth system. Maybe there's someone that they feel could step up in a Gomez type um, kind of situation to be the the fourth central defender. Where they bought a they Dutch kid the quality in the summer, Vandenberg, I think. Um, so yeah, maybe they think they have that. But yeah, I agree that I think. Uh, actual striker, you, you know, even though Batshuayi scored against Barcelona and us in the Champions League final. Not Batshuayi, sorry. Uh, Divac Origi. Got my Belgians mixed up there. Um, and Firmino, who obviously contributes a lot to them, but isn't a forward. But yeah, I, I think striker and, and center back would probably be the needs, in air quotes. Maybe a central midfielder, but it seems like Naby Keita is getting there. And Liverpool fans who have castigated Henderson for years are now super on board, which is kind of weird from the outside looking in. Um, Player but, of the year favorite, Jordan Henderson. Yep. Also, former so, FIFA cover star, Jordan Henderson. Yeah, that's um, so weird. So add that to the so. Champions League and potentially this year's Premier League. Uh, and to it, his accolades. it also is on the, that, you know, their needs may be dictated by if anyone moves on as well. You know, when Liverpool have a, a season like they do, the, those front three especially will come into the focus of Real Madrid, Barcelona, PSG potentially, you know, those clubs mm. with unlimited money pits and if Sadio Mane, for example, moves on or Salah or whoever it is, you know, that might be beyond their control so they might have to then go out and reinvest that if someone comes in with an absolutely ridiculous offer that mm. even Liverpool, you know, can't can't turn down. So Yeah, though they we'll might be even... Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there. They may even be more willing to do that than other clubs are because of the success that immediately followed Coutinho's departure. Like yeah, they may absolutely. believe in their in their scouting and their development enough that they're like, yeah, if we can get over a hundred million for one of those guys and we can bring yeah. in a replacement for thirty, that we can just grow to be as valuable. Um, Having said that, though, the closest they came to scoring uh, in that game was Adam Lallana hitting the post. You yeah. know, showing that. The, the value of a good deep bench or, uh, you know, the peripheral players, how important mm-hmm. it is. Peripheral players who can still operate at the, at a top level. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, we're all saying, no, what Liverpool are doing is incredible. And just because they didn't get the invincible tag come the end of the year, it's still a remarkable achievement. Also, at the start of the season, if you had told Liverpool they were going to win the title on goal difference or by one point, they absolutely would have taken it. Um yeah. So I think the fact that they're just trudging their way towards history uh, is something that is above that <laughs> above that line, and I'm sure is going to be appreciated uh, regardless of how it winds up, whatever that point gap ends up being between them and second. All right, next, I wanted to talk a little bit about the announcement that the Premier League made this week, that they have intent to create a Hall of Fame. For the Premier League, I know there's already a National Footballing Museum. Whether or not that's supposed to be folded into this somehow, I guess time will tell. But what are your thoughts on the Premier League going this route? Well, it's funny you should mention the uh, the museum in Manchester. I mean, I, I was there about five or six years ago, and it, it really is fantastic. I, I sort of hope that – I don't know the details of what the Premier League might be planning, but I do hope that, uh, that they manage to sort of keep those two things – 
combined in some way, whether or not they're actually in the same building. Um, it, it's halls of fame are always uh, if you. I've been experiencing what's been happening with the Baseball Hall of Fame in recent years and the controversy over, uh, you know, the criteria for who gets in and what happens to them after they're in, for example. I mean, we're we're in the middle of a big controversy at the moment about the Houston Astros mm -hmm. and, uh, and and whether or not there should be any sanction over their, um, their World Series victory last year. And now we have a, you know, a whole argument about players who were excluded for for various reasons. Uh, becoming part of like a political campaign to get them get them admitted. Uh, Pete Rose, uh, you know, it, a, a case, um, uh, but not about Kurt Flood, for example, who who turned the uh, the, the relationship between players' unions and and uh, uh, and owners on its head. So, in a way, a Hall of Fame exists to tell the story of a game, uh, and at the same time, it honors the players who have moved that game forward. So in principle, halls of fame are, are fantastic. There's oh, and it, it also creates a natural argument about you know why is he in and why is somebody else not in. So and and I think most most clubs, uh, most Premier League clubs probably now have their own sort of equivalent of a hall of fame. Certainly at Spurs, there's like the the uh, the walkway where you you go down through one of the tunnels and uh, all the classic uh, players of the past are up on the up on the wall and they have a they have a Spurs Hall of Fame um, but and and each club sort of does it in their in their own uh, in their own manner in their own criteria but a Premier League one is essentially well tell the story of the Premier League from its beginnings to where we are today and the players who have moved it forward and and you could argue that you should have a uh, like, I, I don't know, a separate exhibit or something for overseas player, best overseas player in the Premier League. And you could, you could do a, a combination of uh, the, various, the various players who have who've graced the, the Premier League since then. Uh, anything, anything that helps explain the story of the game and the story of the league uh, to, to kids, especially with the internationalization of the game, if you have people who are coming to visit uh, the UK and they would come to visit the Premier League Hall of Fame. Anything that gives them a sense of, and this is where I think the National Football Museum in Manchester does a great job, is to give visitors who didn't grow up with the game, give them a real sense of the history that's embedded in each individual club and in the game itself and the consistency across the game. So I, I'm all for it, but uh, let's let's see what their plans are for actually uh, introducing it and choosing the the members of the hall and how it's going to be uh, integrated with uh, the existing memorializations of uh, of football in this country. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. Um, they've they've uh, as Steve said that there's not a huge amount of detail out yet, so we're we're kind of speculating uh, speculating a little bit on the process. They they have confirmed that it will be a fan vote, which always gets the alarm bells ringing um but i think it will be based on a short list of players so cole jenkinson won't be winning the arsenal player fan vote and getting inducted into the hall of fame or based Henderson, on their social yeah. media following well exactly <laughs> i mean yeah um also a player has to be retired to be eligible so um apparently so it'll be you know it will be a more nostalgic process you know there won't be someone getting inducted while they're still currently active which i think is quite a nice touch um 
especially because you want to be able to view someone's career in the kind of fullness of their their tenure as a Premier League player rather than just um, who's who's hot at any given one time. Um, you know, the, I think the thing that that always made it a potentially tricky assignment for the Premier League is that football is such a a sport that's so popular in multiple different countries. If you look at like the Americanized versions of the Hall of Fame, so you talk about the NFL or the MLB, as Steve touched on with the, the issues around the Astros, you consider a player's contribution or a, a coach's contribution to a sport almost in a vacuum because the top level is is only really played in that one geographical location, if that makes sense. So if you're, say, for example, you're in the NFL Hall of Fame, there's no one plays anywhere close to a comparable standard of American football anywhere else in the world. So all your best work or all your work essentially as a top level player will be in the NFL. Whereas when you're a Premier League Hall of Famer, they've, they've said that only a Premier League player's Premier League career will be considered. So Eden Hazard, for example, scores plenty of Premier League goals, hasn't always played in the Premier League, played for a long time, won plenty with Chelsea, now goes to play for Real Madrid. Is he at a disadvantage because he's played in multiple leagues and moved on and that kind of thing um, compared to a player who came through the English system or uh, uh, whether they're English or not and has played their entire career as a Premier League player? Um, you know, you look at some of the guys that that have, have been some of the best players and the, the way that they're being brought in from other clubs around Europe or around the world. Um, you know, Ronaldo... For example, Cristiano Ronaldo should be a Premier League Hall of Fame player, you'd imagine, even though the vast majority, well, not the vast majority, but the majority of his career has been outside the Premier League, given he had a spell with Manchester United, but it was Portugal before and been Real Madrid and now Juventus. Um, so it, it, it adds a tricky kind of extra layer to the selection of players because you're only really voting on, you're supposed to only vote on their Premier League achievement. But if that's the case, you can't legislate for in this day and age of social media and kind of fan votes. You can't ensure people are only judging them on that. Like if you put Ronaldo up, he's going to get in because people love him, right? Uh, for you know, for for all his faults and whatever else has gone on behind the scenes, people still appreciate what he does as a player. You can't separate necessarily their Premier League achievements from their achievements elsewhere. So it's a bit of a tricky one. That mm. um, it will be interesting to see the kind of first. The first ballot, I guess, the first kind of the potential inductees um, to see how they toe the line with it. But also it's worth noting that I think it's being heavily sponsored by Budweiser as well. Um, So I I think they will try and keep it separate to the more kind of, don't want to say wholesome, but the kind of, um, kind of, I don't know what's the word, but the kind of the centralised Hall of Fame stuff and like all like the, the football and museum that we talked about in Manchester and that kind of um, grassroots stuff that's kind of sprung up without too much kind of commercial interest, whereas this does sit, appear to be kind of a heavily branded exercise. So it will be interesting to see how it in, integrates with with the world of um, the Premier League history and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's a, certainly a tricky concept. I wouldn't fancy the kind of the job of being the person responsible for picking the first five potential inductees, essentially, because... It's just going to be no matter who you pick. There's always going to be people that believe that someone else should have been there. You have these discussions happen all the time where there is only one league to pick from. Let alone where you try and get people to just judge a player on a portion of their career in one mm. particular geographic league. So it's a, it's a tricky old assignment, but yeah, it's a nice idea for sure. Um, 
it's just a it's it's not as straightforward as perhaps it is in other sports um even then it's not straightforward so this could be a bit of a it could be a bit of a, a pandora's box once you've opened it um you know it's it's going to be a tricky one to keep a handle on especially with the whole fan vote thing because the weight of you know basically the club with the biggest social media following their player will get in essentially yeah, that, that's what worries me about it as well, that it becomes, I mean, I obviously don't know the, the, the ins and outs of how it's actually going to work, the mechanics of it, but if, if they're voting from within a group, a suggested group, what happens to the people who don't make it in from yeah. that? And one of the, one of the things that I, I really like about the Baseball Hall of Fame is, A, you have to be retired for five years before you go on the ballot. And then you stay on the ballot for 10 years after that. So gradually, uh, you know, as long as you meet, meet a, a requirement among the sports writers, it's sports writers who do the voting, uh, for as long as you meet the basic requirement, you stay on the ballot. So you're then uh, compared against each incoming class. So there might be years where your stats would be better than, you know, someone else. And, and it, it just depends on... Who else is up at the same time as you? So I think there's there's an awful lot to to find out about how they're actually going to do this uh, in practical terms. But I think one of the points that Jim made, which was really important, is this idea of uh, a player's career in the Premier League. And we're telling the story, as I say, of the Premier League and the contribution that each individual player makes to uh, to the Premier League. So. Uh, you know, someone who's who's only spent three or four years in the Premier League, say, think uh, Tony Yaboa, for example, wonderful, wonderful player, but had uh, accomplishments outside of his time in the Premier League. How do you how do you judge that against someone else who spent a much longer period in the uh, in the league? So, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of unknowns, but uh, I, I, I generally am uh, like Jim. I, I kind of welcome the concept. Yeah, well, Jim also sounded afraid of all the weird debates that'll follow around which players should be in there. So let's start there right now. Uh, which player is it at your club or, or player do you think is most likely from your club to make it into said Hall of Fame? Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll go for, for two. One, one uh, English, one uh, European, and that would be uh, Sheringham and Klinsman. Um, it's difficult because... Leicester haven't been Premier League ever present, so we've not really had an opportunity for like one particular player to build up a legacy. Um, you know, the likes of it. I was looking today prep for the pod at like the top scorers, for example. Um, so you've got Shearer and, and all the guys up there at the top and Henri. Um, Emil Heskey is probably our best option, I think, um, in terms of he, he's got 100, I think 111 Premier League goals, obviously moved from Leicester to Liverpool and, and has had a career at other clubs as well. But for the most part, all of his, you know, his, his career has been in the Premier League. So if we're judging him on his Premier League contribution, he must stand a chance based on longevity plus the accumulation of stats over that time, I think. Um I don't necessarily think there's anyone in the current crop that it's difficult to tell because you don't want to forecast people's careers. Um, but yeah, I think Heskey is probably our best option. Um, surely Kane is, for you guys is a, is a Premier League great at some point in the future, given his, mm. his goal scoring prowess. And I guess he's 
highly unlikely to move abroad. I don't know. Like, he, he doesn't strike me as the type of player that, if he was going to move, he could have moved before now, essentially. So, uh, I, he doesn't strike me as the type of person that's necessarily going to go off and, and take the money elsewhere. So, if he carries on scoring, he'll probably become England's leading goal scorer uh, and overtake Wayne Rooney's record. And there's a very real chance that he might be, you know, very, very high up in the Premier League standings as well, given how prolific he's been so far. So, surely he'd be a, a future Hall of Famer, as they like to say in the States. Gotcha. Certainly some good players in there. And I do hope that Harry Kane stays for a long time. Also, I assume that if players stay within the Premier League the whole time, that would bolster their thing. And then eventually do you get to players making transfer moves based on trying to get into it? I don't know. I, I think this opens up some really weird things. And I was a little confused as to why they're trying it. But it'll certainly be interesting to see how it turns out. Well, there, there has to be a place for Winston Bogard. and based on that they were like let's do it Uh, all right we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back, Steve. We'll start off with you and Tottenham. I obviously have plenty of views of my own, but I get to share them every week, so it's Steve time. Um, There's been some disgruntlement throughout the Tottenham fan base of late with uh, Jose's handling of tactics. Today's team sheet wasn't particularly inspiring for many, Uh, but obviously there are all the looming issues like Kane and Son and Sissoko being injured as soon as he came in. Davis and Hugo were still injured. Uh, So curious to get your thoughts on... Tottenham's recent form, and if you're in the group that's kind of frustrated, what percentage of that frustration do you think belongs at the feet of Jose Mourinho? Well, I mean, I think everyone, uh, everyone who's a Spurs fan is frustrated at the moment. And I think in a way it's because we seem to be not missing an opportunity to show that we're in disarray sometimes. And, And it's even worse when you contrast it with a team who we played today. I mean, Wolves were, you know, our fantastic side. Uh, Nuno has got them playing some great stuff. And, and, and I think just the contrast in the two teams today uh, didn't really do us any favors. Although a friend of mine was texting me a, a, about uh, the progress. And he said, you know, when we were 2-1 up, it, it, it was far more likely that we would score a third than we'd mm. be pulled back to 2-2. And I, and I think this is this is sort of Tottenham all over. We, we, we have... Especially in the defense, the defense is the biggest, the biggest nightmare, the biggest headache at the moment. The back four, we can't seem to get our best combination of players in the back four. Anytime we line up with, you know, uh, Toby and Jan in the back four, one of them seems to have an off day. It doesn't seem to be 
um, it, it, there doesn't seem to be any consistency going forward. And, and I know you, you, you were talking about, you know, struggling for form and that sort of thing. I think what we're really struggling for is consistency. And that's made all the worse because occasionally we do we do show how we can play. I mean, it's it's not like we're a bad side. It's it's uh, it's just we seem to be thrown off um, uh, by by little things at the moment. Uh, as for Jose, I you know it's it's difficult to blame someone for a transfer policy that was instituted before they arrived, and they're dealing with the consequences of that. Having said that. Uh, I, I, I totally adore Steven Bergwine and I hope he, you know, stays around and gets better and better mm-hmm. and gets more uh, playing time. Um, uh, Jose said today, uh, Troy Parrott, he still doesn't think Troy Parrott's ready uh, to start a, a Premier League game. Well, you know, I think we're at the point, Jose, where you, you've got to just try some stuff and and shake it up and see how things are going. But uh, across the squad, I mean, we have well, there's, there, there doesn't seem to be a sense of organization. And I think that's one of the one of the areas where we really miss Kane more than just his contribution uh, in the goal scoring column. It's the, it's the sense of of being able to talk to players and organize them and get them, uh, you know, get them um, just just all pulling together and, and playing in the same boat. And that's what we've missed recently. Uh, there, there's there's a lack of balance across the squad, and that again that just reflects, I think, our our, our transfer policy over recent windows. But uh, you know, I, I, we were talking earlier about this idea that any team can beat any other at this stage of the season, and this is why we always felt as uh, Spurs were able to raise their game for big games, but kind of let things slide a little bit against teams that were uh, that they considered um, that, that were an easier proposition. There are no easier propositions anymore. We have to we have to. Um, be able to organize the squad in a way that, uh, that that plays to our strengths as well as the other side's weaknesses. And we just, we don't seem to have been doing that recently. Yeah, I think all of that makes sense for sure. Uh, what I wanted to follow up with was the the Kane injury. So Mourinho said that Kane and Son are likely going to beat their medical timelines, which is not true. They're both on track to meet their medical deadlines. He's the one that weirdly came out and said it would be the whole season and that Kane might miss the Euros and all that, which was a little bit weird. But now that we're hearing that the medicals are doing better, his dad believes he'll be back at some point in March. Do you think that because we're still in touching distance, much like we were at the Champions League last season, that we should once again try to rush him back, which he always seems able and willing to do? Or do you think at this point we kind of cut our losses and just like heal up you're obviously going to have to play at the Euros in the summer, then hopefully start next season a little bit healthier. Well, again, another consideration, and this is something we were talking about in the in the pre-pod discussion, was uh, the effect of the coronavirus, because we don't know if the Euros are going to go ahead. That's true. Uh, obviously, Sonny has been uh, uh, targeted for um, isolation when he gets back from South Korea for, from his surgery. So mm-hmm. in, in a way, there are so many unknowns about what's going to happen over the next few weeks and months uh, that I, I, I'm against the prospect of, of rushing Harry back, but you know how difficult it is to sort of keep him from, from saying that he's ready to play. You yeah, know? He's beaten just for those that don't know, he's beaten literally every medical deadline he's ever been given for us. Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. And, and generally the next season, if he has issues the next season, it's a separate issue. It's not, anything about sort of coming back too early or or uh, or trying to over overreach himself um 
so in a way, everything seems to be up up for grabs at the moment. I I, I think we are. <clears throat> Spurs fans seem to be resigned now to this idea that we're going to finish. I don't know anywhere between sixth and tenth, uh, and depending on what other teams do around us, um, that we could go up or down and within that within that um, uh, within that level. But uh, it's it's hard to know when a player's really ready to come back. Uh, they have to be the arbiter. They have to be able to say, "Yes, I'm ready to I'm ready to do this." Uh, you know, you know how he is. I mean, we're. We have struggled with um, consistency, as I say, since he's been out. Uh, Ericsson has left. Lacelso has stepped up. I think has been very good. Bergwijn has stepped up. Has been wonderful. Um, I, I think if there's if there is one player though who's who has really struggled, I mean, it, it's been Delhi, and and that problem has become more noticeable because yeah, for like Ken, a month now. Yeah, because Kane and Son have been out, and since Ericsson's departure, an awful lot more has been has been riding on his shoulders. Obviously, so so there is that consideration that we need we need to restore the balance to the team uh, that clearly is missing at the moment. Um, so who knows? We we could be having this conversation a month from now, and the the, the whole situation could have changed dramatically. True, both in terms of Kane's health and our position in the table, because within two weeks we could be in fifth or eleventh. <laughs> That's how close everything is right now. Um, so time will tell. Also, uh, while I think everybody would be very excited to get Kane back, our issues largely are at the other end of the pitch. Um, like we managed to score two goals today without a striker and conceded three. Um, so we really need to tighten things up at the back. Unfortunately, I don't think Dyer is ever going to get back to the potential that he once showed. I think we've really ruined it um, by having him split between midfield and defense, where now he looks confused at both, uh, which mm-hmm. is less than ideal. Um, so we probably need somebody to shield the back. Also, I will say that the idea of playing Tonganga instead of Jan as the left-sided center back with Davis there as well, I actually thought was a really good choice because Jan has clearly been off the pace physically this season. Like It feels like he's already hitting age regression. So the idea of backing Davis up, who was always going to get outpaced by Traore, backed up by Tongaga, who is both physical and fast, I thought that that particular change to the lineup today made sense. The rest of it, a little bit less, and then it didn't work out. But I just wanted to say that, while even myself was like, what is this lineup? I did think that that was... A very yep. interesting and well measured choice. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I'm 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 very very high on Tanganga. Agreed. I think there's a, there's a huge upside with that kid, and I think uh, it's important that he gets as much playing time as possible. And and I, I suppose in a way, experimenting with the with the back four like that today was totally understandable given the resources that we had available. But then we had Toby and Jan on the, on the bench, so uh, I, I know it's it's a difficult one, but. Um, and I, and I don't blame Jose. I have to say, I don't blame Jose for, for trying to work with what he has. Yeah. And I think he was also targeting the FA Cup match midweek. Yeah, exactly. Like, if I had to guess, I think he'd much rather win the FA Cup than make top four or top five this yeah, season. Yeah, well, the, the chances of us doing that now are seem to be receding. So, um, yeah, the Cup is uh, our, <laughs> probably our best shot at, at uh, having a good day out. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, then, Jim, we will come to you to talk a little bit about Leicester. You were on uh, somewhere around a month ago, and we were talking about you kind of hit a rough blip of form. Vardy and Madison weren't really firing, but it was all probably fine. Uh, A little bit less fine of late, particularly in terms of 
form and recent results, having won just one of your last five. Neither of those other two have really gotten going since. But everybody behind you is also struggling. Just, are you concerned by this recent run of form, or do you think that it actually coincided with everybody else struggling, so it's probably just fine? I mean, it's difficult not to be concerned, I think, given the scale of what's gone on. Um, A blip when it's just a couple of games, fine. A blip when it's seven with one win is 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 worrying um as you say i guess the the only shining light in the sense that we haven't lost any positions like we and no one else is really making inroads like chelsea have been okay united have been okay but they have such a gap to make up that you know the, the usual suspects for those top four places are are, uh, are dropping points as well um so we still do have like an eight-point gap to Manchester United after their draw against Everton today. Um, We do have what you would expect to be some winnable matches coming up. But the problem is it's difficult to see where... It sounds weird to say because we're in third, but it's difficult to see where the next win's coming from because we just don't look that much of a threat at the moment. And obviously Vardy being out, um, and we don't really know the, the, the severity of that injury that he's got that kept him out of the Norwich game. So... If he's out, we look really light up front. And this has always been the case with Leicester in the last three, four, five years, really, that if Vardy's not playing, we look short. If he's not firing, we still look short up front. And it's just that he has been quite resilient. He's played a lot of games and he's managed to score a lot of goals, which is great. But he has been our main weapon for for such a long time. And the system that we play doesn't really allow us to blood a second striker. Like We don't play a 4-4-2 usually. Um, and when we, you know, we have tried and we tried against Manchester City and then Edison punched um, Kalichi and Acho out of the game, um, mm. which is which is not ideal. Um, and obviously Kalichi had a goal um, disallowed for, for handball, which is unfortunate. Um, but the VAR rules state that if it touches your hand at any point as the attacking player, then it's disallowed. So you can't really, you know, bemoan that. Um, but yeah, so... We, we've got Birmingham in, in the cup coming up and then we've got uh, Aston Villa uh, a week on Monday um, and then it's Watford, which is a tricky, tricky game. Um, obviously, at the best of times, especially when Nigel Pearson's got them G'd up and playing some good stuff uh, and Brighton and Everton. So, we haven't got... You would have hoped bottom of the table Norwich would have been the easy game that we needed to get us back on track and it's absolutely not the case. Um, so, yeah, it's concerning for sure. Um, I think the key now is just just doing enough to to stay in the top four. Obviously, fifth might be a Champions League place as well, depending on what happens with Manchester City's um, appeal. Um, but I think we just we just need to cling on and do enough. It almost feels like you're doing enough just to stay up, but it's just doing enough to stay in the top four, get the Champions League um, kind of position cemented and then press the reset button and see. I mean, it is a worrying trend, though, for Brendan Rodgers, especially because... He, especially at Liverpool, and obviously he went and won a lot of stuff at Celtic, but you would expect most competent managers to win stuff at Celtic the way that they were set up while while he was there in the SPL and the, the golfing class between Celtic and everyone else. Now, the issue I've got is the fact that we had a two-legged semi-final in the, the EFL Cup, uh, the EFL, the Carabao Cup against Aston Villa, who are vastly inferior to us in every way, shape or form based on 30 odd games this season or 28 games worth of proof for each side. And we just completely messed it up. 
we we had no bottle when it mattered, and that's been a huge issue with us in, in cup games recently. It, it happened before Rogers um, as well. So the worry now is that that lack of killer instinct when it actually matters causes us to to slip out of the top four places, and actually although we would slip into a Europa League place probably, that's going to feel like a huge kind of dejected end to the season because of the fact we've been so, kind of looked so assured of it for so long. If we did slip out, it will feel like, you know, you know how they say sometimes a draw feels like a defeat because you've dropped a winning position. This will be that in season long form, essentially. Um, So hopefully we, we just kind of do enough to get, that that over the line um, but it's tricky to see us doing that because like you say Madison's gone off the boil no one else is really creating enough to kind of justify um, a, a starting place on any given kind of long-term basis and also Vardy being out or out of form as he has been for the last dozen games or so um, just leaves us looking really short up front so yeah we're, we, we look quite a vulnerable team at the moment which is which is a weird dynamic to be in really given where we where we started the season and that run around Christmas time up until we got absolutely hammered well we, we drew at Norwich and then we got absolutely pasted by Liverpool and Man City over Christmas so yeah we've never really recovered from that so Brendan's got a big job on. It sounds it sounds funny to say that, given we're in third, um, with a nice cushion to to the Champions League chasers. But yeah, he, he's got a job on. He's he's got to earn his earn his money over the next few weeks. I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of assumed you'd just be like, yeah, easy fixtures coming up. Things are just going to turn around innately. But it sounds like it's you're, tough, yeah. really tough to see. It, it, genuinely, like, I mean, we were clinging on against Watford, uh, against Wolves. No issue really with the Man City defeat couple of potential penalty shouts maybe but you know tricky ones the Villa and then you're going back to like the Chelsea game where we were 2-2 we played well there actually um, but yeah Norwich Friday night was worrying and if that's the, the kind of trend that continues then yeah we are we're starting to look a little bit shaky um, which is which is a tough a tough position to be in for sure yeah, then I kind of wanted to talk uh, about the defense a little bit. So you went out and signed uh, Bennett on deadline day just to kind of bolster that position. But of course, Wes Morgan's getting older um, and uh, Benkovic didn't work out as well as I think some had hoped considering he had already been with Rodgers last season uh, up in Scotland. Just curious if you think that's a position that is a weakness or one that you might need to address in the summer. It's it's very. I think it's very strong when we've got our first choice too. Um, yeah. And we've been very lucky this season that um, Johnny Evans and Kaglos Ionchu have been pretty much ever present when we've needed them. Um, but actually, the issue behind that is that, as you say, we signed Ryan Bennett. I think the, re- the only reason we signed Ryan Bennett really was for cover because we sent Benkovic out on loan to Bristol City. Um, so we wanted him to play with the idea of bringing him back into the fold next season because he'd missed so much football that actually him sitting on the bench doesn't help us at all, whereas him playing for Bristol City in the Championship does. Uh, but we needed some cover for that. So, yeah, I, I I like our defence the way it's set up at the moment. I think we've just kind of started to make some mistakes that we wouldn't have made three months ago, um, which is, is tricky to kind of rectify because you don't necessarily know what to fix. It just feels like the whole club, there's a little bit of a cloud over the club at the moment. Um, and Rogers, you know, says the same, he says all the right things in his interview. He says, no, we're not doing anything differently. We've just got to keep doing, keep turning up. The players are training with this great attitude. 
but the results don't lie. I think maybe, I mean, there's always, there's definitely a case on the data side of things that we were overachieving for a big part of that winning run. Um, and maybe this is just the kind of regression to the mean part of that and it's just biting a little bit. Um, but yeah, so the, the defence is pretty uh, is a pretty solid unit. Obviously, the, in the summer, we might have no choice about replacing a couple of them. Um, ben Chilwell, although he's not had a great few weeks, has shown enough, I think, to be quite close to the top of the list if someone did need a new left-back in a, in a Champions League kind of team. Um, he's certainly capable of playing at that level and is still kind of maturing as a player. Um, so if someone feels that they could kind of, he's got everything that they need in terms of raw materials, but the money that he would go for would probably mean he'd have to slot straight in. So that's a tricky one. Um, I will continue to bang the drum for Ricardo Pereira as long as you will keep having me on this podcast because he is the most underrated player in our team by country mile. He's real um, good. Still, he's he's just, uh, he's just, He's brilliant, and I just hope that we can hold on to him. Um, Evans isn't going anywhere, I don't think, at his age. Nobody will look to pick him up. Sainz, could be a target for someone, potentially. But again, the hype has kind of died down for him um, recently because we've not playing as well. Whereas with Maguire last season, we kind of finished on a high, um, and then he was kind of target number one for Manchester United. So that ended up going through. Um, we do definitely need strength and depth, though. Um, and I think at least two, probably two centre-backs will be on the shopping list. Um, this this summer, Evans isn't the youngest, so he's going to potentially need more kind of game management um, at, at some point. Um, hopefully, we hold on to Sainzu, but yeah, certainly in terms of depth, Morgan I think is only on a rolling one year contract as a player coach now. Anyway, so this may well be his last season. Um, so he just probably completely disappears off the roster as an option in the summer. Anyway, I guess when he does play. He rarely looks like he's going to make through 90 minutes anyway. So I don't think he's someone you want to rely on for any great length of time. Um, so, yeah, I think Brendan will probably be getting the checkbook out at some point um, over the over the summer. I just hope it's not to replace Chilwell um, or Pereira and it's more just to bolster the squad at, at centre-back, really. And it has to be said from a from a Belfast perspective, Johnny Evans could well be the, the signing of the season. Oh, he's... I mean, it's a weird dynamic that we managed to pick him up off based off his relegation release clause. I think it was three million um, from West Brom, and I think six months before, when Manchester City were scratching around for an emergency centre back, they were looking at paying kind of ten times that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, he's still the same player. He, you know, he absolutely. I, I I know West Brom didn't have any choice in the matter because they went down, so they had to kind of release him. But the fact that we were able to just scoop him up mm-hmm. um, and bring him in, kind of under the radar a little bit, Very much is, so. is 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 fascinating to me. Um, I think maybe he he suffers from a, a kind of familiarity bias that people know who he is and he's been around, but they assume because he's gone from Manchester United to West Brom and then they've got relegated that, and because he's of the age that he is, they don't see him as like a prospect that could develop. But he, the fact of the matter is like they would have gone down with a lot fewer points if they didn't have him in their team <laughs> at the Hawthorns. Yeah, um, and he's, he's just so consistent. And so, and I mean, talking about the Northern Ireland angle, if you look at the way that Michael O'Neill, when he was in charge at Northern Ireland, would consistently get such good results out of a team that are not the big superstars that you would expect them to be matched up against, you know, on a European qualifier basis. And the way that he led that team to be bigger than the sum of their parts, I think Evans and the way that he 
conducts himself. He's a model pro. You never hear anything bad about him, and he just kind of seems to be a leader in the dressing room. He kind of encapsulates that Northern Irish spirit that I think that entire national team was kind of built around. Absolutely right. And we didn't concede an awful lot of goals in the in the qualifying uh, stages for that. And also Craig Caspard, who was uh, Evans's um, defensive partner, still playing pretty well for Watford. Did yeah. play very good in that uh, game against Liverpool the other night. So yeah, all power to them. I think it's probably just, you know, it's proof that you don't need to go out and sign either a young player or a player with a more sexy profile from a European club um, to, to get someone that can do a job. I think the Premier League, you know, is full of these stories where people get knocked back at a certain club or aren't deemed good enough. There's certainly times this season, I bet Manchester United fans wish this had Johnny Evans playing alongside Harry Maguire because he'd have done a damn sight better than some of the partnerships that they've had at centre-back this season, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, we will stick with the theme of talking about players in Player Watch, where I wanted to talk to you guys about a player at your form that you feel is the most out of form at the moment. Uh, we'll stick with you. We'll come to you, Steve. Uh, well, I think I may have already covered this in, in the last uh, sort of catch-all <laughs> Tottenham comment, but I, I cle- I, clearly I think it's uh, it's Delhi. Uh, Delhi has struggled to uh, to break through into the consistency of of the sort of form that he had last season. Uh, and and that has been just exacerbated more by the fact that you know Harry's out, Son has been out, um, Ericsson has left. It has thrown more of a spotlight on the fact that Delhi hasn't really stepped up uh, the way a lot of people would have expected him to. So that that has been the most disappointing, uh, the most disappointing thing I think. Uh, but also I think you could you could cast equal blame across our entire back four. To be honest with you, at the moment, um, after you know Toby's contract uh, issues of last season got resolved, we all expected to be moving forward. And 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 generally, as I say, it's not that they're struggling for form; they're struggling for consistency. These are good players, but they just seem to uh, not gel too many times, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think that's what that's what disappoints a lot of the fans. But but certainly in terms of if you're identifying one player who uh, we would expect more from this year, it's it's Delhi. Yeah, I'd agree there. Jim? It's got to be Vardy, I think. I feel bad kind of ragging on him a little bit after he missed the last game, but he he is such a pivotal kind of focal point of our team. Him and maybe Wilfred and Didi are the two most important players in our team, one from an attacking perspective, one from a defensive perspective, and they kind of set the tone for how we're going to play in each half of the pitch, essentially. Um, so you've seen how much we've missed Wilf, but that's through injury rather than a lack of form, whereas Vardy went through that incredible scoring run um, where we thought, you know, there might be a very real chance of him breaking his own Premier League record for, for games scored consecutively. And then he's now gone um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight games without a goal that he's actually played in. And for a striker who's got 17 goals this year um, prior to that, that really, really hurts us, especially in our system, because... We just don't have anyone else that's anywhere close to equipped enough to, to deputise. Um, and also, I think you've got to look at the impact that that has upon like Madison and Barnes um, who've, and Tielemans to some degree as well, who failed to kind of um, 
contribute in the in the goals column as much as I think we would have expected players of that quality to do. Um, so that's left us very, very short going forward. But yeah, Vardy just seems to be, I don't know whether it's just fatigue, whether it's a, a kind of um, a lack of confidence and kind of not, not kind of believing that he's going to go out and score because he's just such a streaky player. Um, and I think the fact that he holds the record for the most consecutive Premier League game scored kind of is the perfect kind of example of that. When he's hot, he, he's really difficult to stop. Um, but as soon as he, he has that stutter, that one or two games, um, it can really turn into a long, long spell without a goal. And he's missed a penalty in that time as well, in that Burnley game, which turned out to be really crucial. I think it was 1-0 when he when he missed the penalty. And we ended up losing that game 2-1. And, you know, so obviously that result could have been very, very different if he scores that, that goal at Turf Moor. Um, I just think he's not quite looked himself and it's not like he's missing guilt-edged chances. He has missed a few kind of presentable ones. He doesn't seem to be able to be getting himself into the position to miss them a lot of the time. Um, I, don't, I think it's maybe the frustration with his lack of form. He's dropping a bit deeper to try and pick the ball up. He's moving out wide a little bit, which leaves us short in the middle when he does pick the ball up because someone like Barnes or, or Madison... Um, uh, isn't kind of moving into that space where you'd expect a central striker to be. So I think it would have to be Vardy. Again, it, it remains to be seen how, how bad this injury is that's kept him out. But it's just such a shame to see him hit that goal mark. You know, he's on 17. He only got 18 last year. So for him to have 17 goals um, at that point of the season, just, just before Christmas, and then to still be on 17 now going into March is, you know, it's quite a worrying um, drop-off in form considering we're, you know, we've got top four aspirations. Um, and obviously England's plight as well. I know he's retired from England, but if if Kane isn't fit, if Rashford isn't fit um, for the summer, then, you know, and Abraham struggling with injury as well, then, we're, you know, he, he could potentially have been asked to, to, to go back and, and play for the national team. So it will be interesting to see how um, how that situation develops if he's, if he's still in contention for a call-up as well. Yeah, that England job is going to be really interesting with Rashford having a setback in his health. Um, Tammy starting less frequently with Giroud starting now after he had an injury. Kane obviously dealing with his stuff. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Vardy got a call, although I know Ings is also a lot of people's favorite uh, to be up for that position as well. Uh, we will wrap up with match previews, both of us on FA Cup duty. We'll start with you, Jim, talking about Leicester versus Birmingham. Yeah, um, tricky tie, I think, because it's it feels, it feels like another trappy game where Leicester will be favorites, will probably make a lot of changes, and Birmingham aren't a terrible championship side. They're probably, they're not going to go, I don't think they're going to go down this year in the championship. So this may well be their kind of focus for, for the, for the next part of the season, in the sense that they're, they're kind of done enough so far, I think to, to not be too worried about relegation. They're probably not going to go up either because they're not quite good enough for that, but they'll be going out to kind of big game hunt and try and try and get an upset. Um, so yeah, it's a really tricky, trappy home game. Um, Rogers typically has been, I wouldn't say too too many changes, but especially against um, championship opposition, he's kind of tended to mix the pack up. So you might well see maybe Damari Gray coming in, uh, Mark O'Brien getting a start, 
Um, there are some positions, particularly defensive midfield, where I think we're, we're kind of forced to build the same kind of lineup with with Hamza Chowdhury and and Dennis Pratt potentially because we haven't got anyone else, um, which is slightly worrying. Um, but yeah, Christian Fuchs could be could be in line for a start. So there'll be some there'll be some changes for sure. Um, it might well be a chance to kind of freshen up the pack and maybe give the uh, the first team who are potentially a bit a bit jaded and an opportunity to, to rest. So it could actually be, be a nice little opportunity to get some, some fresh legs out for the next home game, but a tricky one. Um, but one we, we should win, I think, um, if we're, if we're able to put any kind of um, performance together, but again, that looks tricky to do at the moment, but maybe this will be the, the catalyst for a good performance. Um, like it was against Brentford. We went down to Brentford and won in the previous round. And that was kind of one of the more glowing displays um, since the turn of the year. So maybe this will, this will have the same impact. All right. And then Steve Tottenham going to be facing North. You already mentioned being a little nervous about this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the trickiest cup ties always seem to be against teams that are sort of flirting with relegation. Uh, but the, but the at the end of the day they have to sort of balance off uh, their priorities. Do they want to do they want to go for a, a good cup run or do they want to concentrate on saving themselves? It's much more difficult when you're playing a team who are like rooted to the bottom of the table and have nothing else really to play for. So in a way, um, I, I'm I'm expecting a tough a tough game against Norwich, um, slightly mediated by the fact that it's at home. Uh, I, I think if we had to go to, to Carrow Road for this one, it would be a much more uh, difficult um, uh, proposition. I think I expect Toby and Jan to be back in the centre of, of the back four, but that is not always a, a guarantee that we won't concede. Um, I hope Troy Parrott gets a start. Uh, I mean, that's, I think, the one, the one situation where we were talking earlier about Jose trying to sort of shake things up. Uh, and this, I think, would be a good opportunity to throw Troy in, give him a go, um, uh, see how we how we get on, and also, you know, just you have you keep somebody like Lucas in in reserve that you can bring on uh, if if it doesn't work out. But um, you know, uh, we have the, the the Leipzig game coming up as well, and uh, you know that's that's going to be tricky. That's actually going to be a much more challenging game for us than this one. So I, I see a potential banana skin. Uh, here, but uh, I think the fact that it's at our our own ground is um, uh, is probably to our advantage. So uh, I, I would I would expect us to, to squeak through on this one. I'm certainly hoping for that as well. But that'll do it for us today. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Okay, uh, thanks again for having me on, Kevin. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm Steve McGookin. You can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm a former chairman of the New York Spurs Sporters Club. You can follow the conversation at New York Spurs. Uh, if you want to read my non-football writing, you can get it at northernslant.com. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm Jim. You can get me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets, uh, and I also do writing for uh, PremierLeaguePress.com of uh, a kind of sports betting focus. So if that's your thing, then head over there and check us out. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. You can email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. And also be sure to check out the championship show, which is at Championship Pod, but still comes out through this very channel. 
things hotting up there in the championship with West Rome dropping points of the weekend. Leeds picking up a win. Things getting pretty tight there at the top of the championship table. Uh, but thanks to you two so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.